0: That truth is so at the core of how we live out our lives. If we are rooted in the security that you have been faithful and true, what you said you will do, it will affect things like how we do married life. Because I am not the victim of the sin and the wounding of my past. In Christ, I have been made righteous because you said so. In Christ, I have been adopted as a son and a daughter because you said so. In Christ, I have been made now and am becoming a new creation. And your faithfulness is what allows us to hear the truth that will set us free because when we surrender to the spirit of Christ, we have a power to live out Christ in us, the hope of glory. So, Father, today, as we are challenged, may you afflict those of us who are comfortable. May you comfort those of us who are afflicted. And may your faithfulness be the basis by which we live out this week. In Christ our Lord, we pray, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Have a seat, everybody. Thank you for being with us today for part two of a series we're doing called Marriage is a Numbers Game, and we are combining a tool that I'll talk about, if you don't know about it, that we use that goes back to the fourth century monks, the Enneagram with the gospel of christ and we're glad you're with us if you have not done so sign up for the push pay app because especially now in covid that's how we give predominantly is um and the reason our church did well during the pandemic is because so many of you used already used electronic means of giving tithes and offerings to christ and so push pay is is an easy app that you can go to and make southbrook your beneficiary of your generosity and we thank you for doing that if you if not if you're not going to use that you can you can give on, at a box out in the information counter. We have a uh, a destination this series is pointing to. January 28th, Friday January 28th we have a couples an Enneagram couples class for 3 hours on January 28th, $10 couple uh, for, per couple and pizza and salad included in that. And we are full, but we're opening up another one of our venues to house that. So it's a, it's a good and a bad thing, right? We have couples screaming to get in for help, <laughs> and then we have couples who are going to get help. So that's the, that's the good news. So if you want to be a part of that, don't get on your phone right now, because we had so many people doing it last hour, it, it kind of crashed everything, <laughs>
1: Boy, I don't know what that says,
0: but we, uh, we're, we're set up out in the atrium for you, so go out there after we're done today, and then you can register for that Friday, June 28th, 6 to 9 p.m. Go out and do that present in the atrium. We, um, as I said, are in the middle of something that, that uh, is so challenging, and I'll explain this before I set up this video the, the most piercing words, the most realistic words, and this is the thing about Jesus, is he was grounded in reality. He, he, he brought the heaven to earth, and then he said, in this reality, here's what's available to you now. And he's dialoguing one time with his opponents in Matthew 19, and, and he says these words. He's talking about marriage. Not everyone is mature enough to live a married life. And all God's people said, (laughs) yes, because some marriages are 14-year-olds married to 13-year-olds. It requires a certain aptitude and grace. This is in the Message Bible, which if you're saying, wow, that doesn't sound like my King James Bible. It's because the Message translation is a colloquial. This is how it would have originally sounded to the first hearers of these words. Marriage isn't for everyone. Which is really interesting, in a culture like ours, it says if you're not hooked, you're not a whole person. Our culture worships sex as a means by which I'll find wholeness. And there are all kinds of problems for that. All kinds of problems. Some, from birth seemingly, never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. Now, that has been, I think, misused to say that you really can't be in full service to God if you're married. That's not what he's saying here. He's just simply saying, some people choose to say, I want to fully devote my life to Christ without the complexity of marriage involved. But if you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. I think of those words often. If you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. Do I have any Marines here? Are there any Marines here? Raise your hand if you're, you were a Marine. Because, you know, hoorah, you're always a Marine. So if you've been in the Marines, is the Marines for everyone? It's not for everyone. You've got to grow into its largeness. And here's a culture right now. You're living in a culture where it is so much easier to get married than it is to get your driver's license. Now think about that. It takes a little bit more acuity, aptitude and grace to be married than it does to drive a car. Would you all agree? Would you all agree? And yet it is so easy. Literally, if you wanted to be married before you left here today, you could have someone you're sitting with say, "Hey, will you go down online and will you register to be an officiant and then because we don't want to get we just want we just feel like getting married after the service today." You could do that. And yet the enormity of that decision in this culture is so missed. It is so missed. When you add to it that we are a romance-based culture, we romanticize relationship, Uh, I I would say, this is my unofficial, unscientific estimate, 85.6% of all love songs are codependent you know, and they could all be summarized. Listen to them, like listen to love songs. They They could all be summarized with Renee Zellweger's statement famously in Jerry Maguire. You complete me. And, I mean, really, really, if you listen to love songs, it's all about I have found the person who will make me a whole person. And and I remember the time that, that I was in the theater when Jerry Maguire was on and she said that and I wanted to stand up and go, No! Do not listen to that statement! That idolization is going to set you up for personalization and and villainization of the person that you're married to someday. And we're fraught with this, and we need God's input. What does he say about it? Well, this series is about the powerful combination of information and transformation— and today we are privileged, and next week we'll do part two, to have with us a corporate consultant, a marriage coach, an Enneagram coach who is the co-founder of The Art of Growth. You can go to theartofgrowth.org. That's one of the tests you can go to right now to see what your Enneagram type is. We also use Truity. That's the one we use. Truity is the one we use for player's box. But, you, but Jim started this with a friend of his And he does some amazing stuff. He has tremendous insight into the dynamics of relationship when seen through the prism of the Enneagram. So I want you to take a couple minutes and listen to Jim Zartman. He leads the most listened to podcast in the world with the Enneagram. And here's some of his initial perspective on marriage. Jim, first of all, if you don't mind sharing, how has the Enneagram... Affected you personally. Why did you there's a reason why you got into the work you're doing
2: right now? I had this deep desire to belong But the inability to alter myself or change myself to just fit in I Wasn't willing to do it. I didn't know how to do it. And so I think I came to it for the same reasons a lot of people do is like I want to understand like what's wrong with me or what's wrong with you, right and one of the biggest things that it helped me with personally if we're on this subject is i would say in my marriage um i am very very different from my wife we come from different ends of the spectrum and one of the breakthroughs that happened for us honestly is we were learning about the types and we were learning about our two types and i remember sitting in bed one night and apologizing to her and just saying I'm so sorry that for the first 10 years of our marriage, I treated you like you needed to be more like me.
0: One of the things I'll get into in this series is, is how we idolize, which leads to personalize, which leads to villainize. So if I idolize my spouse, you're going to give me what only God can.
2: And then you don't do that. I personalize that. And then when i personalize that i villainize you yeah well the funny thing is people do it in one of two directions they either idolize externally like you have something and then i need you to fulfill something so i feel i I often describe dating as um when we get together with this person we've had this invisible journal that we've written in invisible ink our entire lives and we meet this person we're like this is your job description um and some people like then put that on the other person but I think for me, I came from the other perspective. I idolized my perspective, and I needed you to be more like me. So some people are more external, but then for some of us, I think it's a lot more internal. And that's the thing to overcome, and it's, it can go either direction.
0: The reason that I personally have benefited from Enneagram is, as a three, it gave me a clear path of growth. Where do you recommend people start?
2: Because you got a lot of people in Southbrook right now who haven't heard of the Enneagram yet. This is, they're just now being introduced. Right, so I think everyone sort of has to start with them. You have to understand a little bit more about you are. Because when it comes to relationships, the first thing that my wife and I always tell couples when we sit down with them, we say, we have good news for you. You will never understand each other. (laughs) You don't even understand you yet. You are an entire complex universe. There is so much more to you than you know, and you actually have to see yourself first. When you can see yourself being yourself, you can finally change. So for most people, they start by trying to understand their type. And I've had friends who saw it. And walked away from the Enneagram for a year because that's like, I don't want to see that. That's too much. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, but you have to start with you because until you've done some of this work, you don't know the operating system that's driving you.
0: Well, let me ask you this, because when I went the first time I did the Enneagram, I went through a year of embarrassment. I was embarrassed. And that's when oh, I sure. when I later learned, I was like, okay, then I'm probably locating geographically, I'm in the I'm on the continent of my This isn't so much a strengths finder as it's a sin finder.
2: It tells you where your motivations are and where they'll go if you don't grow. But I do think that there is an emphasis in the Enneagram that focuses a little too much on the low side, the shadow side. Like this is, you know, this is your struggle. And your struggle is your core interrupter. It is not your core identity. The, the truest part of you is not your sadness and shame. The truest part of you is not the part of you that um, that gets in the way, the part that is embarrassed. Sometimes we see that and we do feel this sense of like, oh no, that's not what I wanna be. But I always tell people like zoom out because the truth is the, the deepest part of you is not the is not the shame is not the sadness the truest part of you is love as a heart type the truest part of you as a head type is faith which is the capacity to move forward when you do not know the outcome the truest part of the body is not anger it's peace so it's it's understanding that there is a deeper core of you it does show you the shadow side but it should also show you the light because when you pursue the truest self the, the part that you don't want, it tends to start to fade to the background because it's not as powerful. It's not, I always tell people, the best of you is permanent. The worst of you is temporary. So good. Well, let's take that because I think a
0: lot of couples get that point where they feel hopeless and they're not. So right. walk us through, you're sitting down with a couple in deep struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you begin? with the Enneagram and what aspects of the Enneagram
2: are are most helpful in that context. So just understanding that you are not me and that there's nothing wrong with that. People have to understand that first and foremost, then you can actually have the curiosity to understand where the other person is coming from. Um, And it's really type specific. I often joke with couples, like you tell me any two numbers and I can tell you every fight they're ever gonna have. <laughs> because there's certain reoccurring themes that happen in every couple. What is the most common
0: challenge that you see with couples today and how does the Enneagram intercept that and then, and, yeah. and then the application becomes curative,
2: it becomes restorative? The most common thing is, I think you're wrong. When it comes down to it, like think of the the divisive nature of the country, the culture happening all around us right now. And why is it? It's because we moralize our perspective. We moralize our type. And so anytime you come into one of these situations where we have to navigate something together, we go, no, is this conflict between the person who is the anchor and the person who is the sail. The person who wants to be rooted and grounded and one person who wants to like go and push forward. These are the kinds of things that you see a lot of the times. Whatever you pay attention to, you put your energy behind. And the most common thing the couples struggle with is their energy and their attention go in opposite directions. What, but there's one other thing I think is super important right now for the families in your church. We often are approached by couples for couples coaching, my wife and I, who have small children in the home, and often two jobs. And they're wondering why they're struggling to relate. And it's because they have a logistics-based marriage. Their whole relationship is around having to function, being functional. And so there's no time for the curiosity, for the, who are you? How did you experience that? It's like, just solve the problem. And that's the problem. And I solve this way and you solve it this way. And why are you doing it that way? And you should be doing it this way. And I'm moralizing my type and my perspective. And we get exhausted. And the very relationship that used to bring us energy is now pulling some because we're we're pulling against who they naturally are and who we are naturally are. That's it.
0: In psychology, there is a thing called the pathological pull, and that is how it really is, a, in a simple way, is how two opposites can be drawn toward one another, attract one another. And there's a very strong likelihood within this room, there are s- scores of couples that. That if the truth were known, you were pathologically attracted to one another. Out of the, you will complete me. You're so different. But then life hits, life happens, and we now have to give those energies to functioning, to making a reality happen. And those very inadequacies within each of us become accentuated to where what opposites used to attract, opposites now attack. You're not what I need you to be. And at the core of this series is this the statement that Kierkegaard once made, and now with God's help, I shall become myself. Remember, as you discover the Enneagram, you'll discover that, that your main type is the box you put yourself in to survive. And out of that, some of you have thrived. Some of you have gotten the education. You've gotten the professional status. You've gotten the house and the cars. But you wonder why does that not translate into relationship, especially with marriage. It's because there's a totally different soul awareness that's required for marriage. So in this series, we've we've introduced two elements that you need to understand. One is information and the other is transformation. Information does not mean transformation. Like you can know a lot. How many of you know people who know a lot, but they're not transformed? They're not really any... Different than they used to be, even though they go to eight Bible studies a week and they, they do all these spiritual things, but it really hasn't taken root in the core of their being to where you see it fleshed out. Information does not equate transformation. Information, however, is an important, if not critical, Precedent to transformation. I have to know reality. Max Dupree, one of my gurus in leadership development, said the first task of leadership is define reality. Like, you don't know where you need to go until you know where you are. And this is true in marriage. We're lost here. It's because you don't know where you are because you don't know who you are. So, a number of years ago, we began implementing this tool of self-awareness called the Enneagram. And that's exactly what it is. It is, it is simply that. It is, it is a tool of raising self-awareness. And the Enneagram is the information part of this. I know who I am now. I know reality. As I said in that video, for me, it was embarrassing to learn the reality of being a, a very strong three. It became clear to me that that was my survival box. That's what I created in order to survive my life early on. It makes total sense. In order to survive life for many years. That provides information for me that I know as a three, for example, I mentioned last week, that my triad of growth is I need to have more six in me and I need to have more nine in me. And when I do, I am a healthy three. And when I don't, I do damage. The gospel is what provides the transformation. I know whose I am. And don't let there be any mistake there. Knowing who you are is critical, but knowing whose you are will leave you in misery if you don't get transformed into the reality that the truest thing and most permanent thing about you is that in Christ you are made righteous, in Christ you are adopted, and in Christ you are a new creation. And you activate those realities by faith. Now, the Enneagram, if this is your introduction to it, comes from two Latin words, "na," which means nine, and gram, that which is written or drawn. And this was developed beginning in the 4th century, actually by a number of desert fathers, monks, who began to see this need to create an understanding of people before they would receive the gospel. And as I said, the purpose of the Enneagram is to awaken self-awareness. Now, Let's give the qualifier again. There's a danger with this. And the danger is that the Enneagram can be used as a shield or a sword. A shield is, I justify my behavior. Well, you knew you were marrying a three when you married me. You know, you knew, you go, you knew what you were getting, and we justify it. Or we use it as a sword. You are such an eight. You are such an eight. And we attack with it. And we're going to show you in a moment a role play where two types, two numbers. In this series, we're going to introduce you to a teaching tool that hopefully by the end of the series represents all the numbers. But we, we want to show you how this couple uses their types as a sword. And they use it to attack each other. And it's just an easy, 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 easy thing to get into. Now, just because there may be some of you who are new to the Enneagram, let me give you a quick review. Here are the Enneagram types at a restaurant, and this will tell you the types just by how uh, you interact at a restaurant. By the way, last night during the Bengals game, sixes and ones were freaking out because they just knew this was going to lead to another Bengals collapse, right and sevens are going this is so fun that we're all together and and we're just I mean this is exciting right and fours are loving the ambiance and 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 so you could just see last night some of you just freaked out I uh you know there's always a Steeler fan did you notice that there's always a Steeler fan around I gotta tell you this the, we, one of the things we're doing now is going into schools with Players Box. So, so we go on Wednesdays at 3.30 to Dayton Christian and we actually are leading their, bar, their basketball team through a, uh, their boys basketball team through a 12-week training on the, on the um, Players Box. And I, I was talking last week about how many of you guys think the Bengals can win at all? I said, I think they can win the whole thing. I think they're good enough. And there's always one Steeler fan. <laughs> And I've never met a humble Steeler fan. Have you? Have you ever met a uh, humble? Have you? I've never met a humble Steeler fan. Lord, I know, and they respond. Lord, it's harder to be humble when you're the best. I mean, they, they respond that way. But I, so I said, hey. We've got these new players' box hoodies, and they are really neat. Zip up, and, and they're light enough to where you can wear them when it's not too cold, but they're they're heavy enough to where I, I build it up. It's just great. So I said, if, if if how many of you would like to have one of those? And they all raised their hand. Even Mr. Steeler fan raised his hand. And I said, good, because if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, we're going to give all of you hoodies. And now that Steeler fan has to root for the Bengals because he wants them. Isn't that great? that guy is deviant, but great. Here are the Enneagram types at a restaurant. The perfectionist one is assessing what they would have done differently if this were their place. The helper two is stacking the plates on the table and gathering the menus. The achiever three is picking up the tab because we're the generous ones, right? That's our The individualist four is either celebrating the ambiance or thinking of how to make it feel better, feng shui. The Investigator 5 is feeling like they're outside looking in at everyone else having dinner because they're kind of zoning out. The Loyalist 6 is checking the sanitation grade because they're all about safety. Remember last week when I mentioned Richard said up to half the population, 6s, which explains COVID totally. It totally explains it to the rest of us. The Enthusiast 7 is ordering a little bit of everything on the menu. They love the Cheesecake Factory. The Challenger 8 is the one we asked to tell the waiter they forgot the appetizer. <laughs> and the Peacemaker 9 is complaining about nothing, even when their food comes out completely wrong. Okay, they, want, they, they just want there to be peace among us. Well, I'm going to ask Katie and Levi to come out because I want you to see some things throughout this series. So um, Levi Crowley, who leads our campus discipleship movement, and then Katie Katie Parks, who is our next gen leader, they're going to be with us the next few weeks representing these different types. And we're going to do something as if we were in a pastoral counseling situation. Okay, and we say, Okay, let's do role play is very effective in in counseling. Let's let's play this scenario out. And so would you, because I owe them big time, I so appreciate them doing this. Uh, would you give a raucous thank you, Southbrook, to Levi and Candy for doing this? Thank you. So, so this scenario is, he is Tom, and she is Morgan, and he is a one. He is, as you'll see, an off-the-charts perfectionist, and there's something that comes with that. And, and she is an enthusiast seven. It's all about the party. It's all about the fun, right? And they are coming off Christmas, and now they have to plan their daughter's birthday party. Okay? And this might hit close to home. If you're a one married to a seven or a seven married to a one, you're going to think we have your house bugged. <laughs> because there are some realities here. Now, I want you to watch... Because in your relationship, you may either have idolized, we idolized each other, we hoped that they would complete us, and so now we personalize their disagreements and we villainize that person. Or, as Jim said, what you'll see here, I think, is moralize my position and therefore I personalize your disagreement and then I villainize you. So take a look as Levi and, and Katie, Tom and Morgan, show us a friendly Debate (laughs) over a birthday party.
3: Oh, yes. Like Charlie said, we are hosting... A birthday party for our wonderful daughter, who is going to turn seven, and it will be at our house this weekend, and I am just so excited. I love planning parties. Oh my gosh, my creative juices just go nuts, and so many ideas come into my head. So our darling little daughter loves medieval times, and she loves princesses and fairy tales, so we are going to transform it into a magic castle, complete with a giant Paper Dragon, Breathing Fire, Welcoming the Kids in. It's going to be awesome. Cupcakes and glitter. Yeah, I said glitter. Glitter everywhere. It's going to be amazing. We're also going to have a Make Your Own Medieval Pizza Station. Oh, who doesn't love medieval pizza? I don't even know what that is, but we'll figure it out. And then we're also going to have obstacle courses and, I know, a bouncy house. That's right already ordered it on Amazon. It'll be here tomorrow. I can't wait to see her face when she comes down the stairs and sees a bouncy house in the front yard for her and all her friends. Tom, don't give me that look. Don't start shrugging your shoulders. And ugh, it was only
1: $250.
3: <laughs> Seriously, Tom? Ugh, come on, loosen
1: up. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I know it's our daughter's party. But when I think about hosting, I'm thinking money, mess, work. I'm thinking about how I have to clean before, during, and after the whole house. And then there's the money. And normally I wouldn't complain because it is our daughter's seven-year birthday party. Yeah, but we spent so much on Christmas. Morgan, do you even know how much you spent on Christmas? Uh, Bah humbug. (laughs) <laughs> that's, uh, you're predictable. Uh, I don't really want, I don't feel like getting into it because it's, that's not the thing that bothers me the most.
3: Oh, what is it, Tom? What is it? Too much creativity? <laughs> too much joy? Too much excitement?
1: Yeah, make me sound like a jerk. Just too yeah. much fun? I'm, I'm oh. going to be the one footing the bill, and doing all the work while you're off in party-party dreamland, jumping on the bouncy house yourself, doing dragon decorations. Meanwhile, I'm scrubbing toilets. I'm opening and closing all the baby gates for everyone. And then... I've, I'm doing this on top of 60 hours work week.
3: Oh, that's what it is. Mr. I work 60 hours a week. Um, you think... Because you're an astute engineer, and I'm just a measly little teacher that you work so much harder than me. Oh, okay, let's let's dig into this a little bit, Tom. So you're some fancy engineer, and you waltz down to your home office every morning, half the time in your pajamas, probably, and you jump onto Zoom with all your little engineer buddies and talk about your new stapler. Whereas, I mean, seriously, whereas I actually go into the real world and talk mm. to real people. Mm. I even have to put real clothes on and deal with real middle schoolers. That's right, middle school students in a science class mm. who I'm inspiring the youth of America uh, uh. in the midst. Oh, well, yeah, you're, you're going to get it, in the midst of a pandemic. So yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me how. You're going to keep making me the bad guy. When if it wasn't for me, we'd be over budget all the time. If it wasn't for me, the ship would not be floating. I'm the one that keeps things going, and you're going to treat me like the bad guy. You know what your real issue is? Is that you don't want to be an adult. Oh. Okay. I don't think you even know how to be an adult. Excuse
3: me. Excuse me? Yeah, you
1: just want to have all the fun and let other people do the work, and I'm sick of it.
3: You're sick of it? Mm-hmm. I'm sick of this self-righteous BS. I'm sick of it. I'm, I can't even... I don't even know what to say right now. I just want to <laughs> have a party and hang out with my seven-year-old.
1: This is not a joke. I don't... This is not the time or the place for the conversation because you're not ready to talk about it.
3: Um, not the time or the place. Uh, just in case you didn't notice we're in church this for goodness sakes this would be the perfect time in the perfect place we may as well just lay it all out on the table we got mm. mr charlie here right now just helping us out
1: deflect deflecting
3: oh, okay and yeah you know what is this is getting a little serious and i'm sick of it i'm sick of it too i'm okay. sick of never being able to just to be myself in this marriage all the criticism it's just stifling sick of never being able to be myself Good thing I didn't mention the petting zoo.
0: Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> how did you? So Levi, for you, how did you envision why Tom the way is the way he is? So, mm. so as you could see, mm. a, a pretty extreme oneness came out, and, and you guys went yeah. to personalizing yeah. and then villainizing pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Tom, how,
1: your your character. Why is he the way he is? How did he grow up? Perfection doesn't happen on an accident. (laughs) Yeah. And she's just going about it willy-nilly. And I'm not even that opposed to 250 bucks on a bouncy house, but I care about where it's going to go. Is there the right traffic flow? You know, all of that. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Is it, you know,
0: like... So, for example, sixes when they hear Bouncy House, they see kids flying off in a thunderstorm. <laughs> so there, you, so ones yeah. also see what's. I just and, and you are play. a one. Mm-hmm. So you are a one. How did that affect, for example, especially when you were leading worship arts? Yeah. Because we were talking in the back how differently mm-hmm. the oneness of Tom's character was expressed than your oneness
1: would have been. Tell the yeah, tell yeah. the church the difference. Hmm. So for. Between me and between Tom, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I care a lot about experiences. I want the experience to be perfect, even sometimes at the expense of some other resources, uh, and you know maybe some volunteers could even say at the expense of that. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, yeah. Whereas Tom, he's he's a lot more ones and zeros, balance of the books, and so perfectionism, uh, I've learned manifests in different ways. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Katie, what about you? So you are an eight. Mm-hmm. Do you have a seven wing? Is
0: is there, because there seems to be some sevenness yes, to you. Yes, so
3: I'd say eight with a seven wing. So
0: for you, how, why was Morgan the way she is? How did you see that character as why she's so flighty? Because, because uh, the, the. I
1: didn't say it. <laughs> I said that. It's
3: Morgan, it's not me. Yeah,
1: so. I like this right. counselor. He's a oh, good counselor. All yeah. these,
3: all these wi- all, all
0: these floaty sevens out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because one of the reasons the Enneagram is valuable is to get to the desires. What's your motivation? That tells you your motivation. Mm-hmm. What do you see as Morgan's motivation?
3: I think I see it as being able to share the excitement and the vision that she has as a visionary, not necessarily all the details, Mm -hmm. but that vision that she has for basically creating Walt Disney World in her backyard. So Mm. something like Walt Disney World was probably created by a seven, but with the um, very watchful eye and close help of many of the other Enneagram numbers.
0: Right, so So Disney World wouldn't exist without engineers. (laughs) Right. Right? And, and if you're strikes. watching this, you're going, as, as, as ones, you're going, you're thinking, my gosh, it, the, the order we need to make a family happen, and as sevens, you're thinking, gosh, if the world were run by ones, it'd be so <laughs> daggone boring, correct? So here's why this today and next week are titled, Extra Grace Required, mm-hmm every marriage needs grace but there are some types that if you don't have grace to oil the gears look out right look out next week i think you're going to do a three and a nine Uh, is that right so uh the the the, that'll be the easiest one because threes are pretty easy to get along with right is that is that the deal and i think but we're going to see that and I want, I want now, you guys have built this tension,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And now we're going to kind of unleash some of that tension through grace. Would you thank Katie and Levi thank for doing know. this today? Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. So one of the things we would do is we would say, did you guys see how quickly in your disagreement you started saying you, you instead of I? But the more important thing is if you can head off going from moralized to personalized to villainize, you are so far ahead of so many people because we do that unconsciously. Now, look at these words from James chapter 4. And I want to use these words to lead us to Christ today. Uh, these are written in the letter of James by a, the, one of the brothers of Jesus who became an apostle. He's actually one of the reasons we believe in Christ is he didn't believe in his own brother, uh, which was not the first nor the last to not believe in his own brother. But after the resurrection, he said, I'm telling you, something happened. And he, he wrote to multiple churches and to multiple Christ followers one time. And that's what we have in the letter of James. And he is, is diagnosing and then giving some prescriptive pathways to their failures as Christ followers. And in this case, it's their relational friction. And he says these words, James 4.1, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now stop there. Because there's a very strong likelihood with a lot of sevens that the, the real core motivation of sevens is to anesthetize pain. There's a really good chance in Morgan's background is life was just so painful and it's been hard long enough and she just wants to enjoy life. Or maybe in her family of origin, they didn't celebrate people. They didn't celebrate birthdays. And that's a real possible underlying desire that's battling within her. Tom may have been the, the victim of a household that was chaotic. And he, out of his somewhat nature of being somewhat orderly, and then when he discovered you could get good grades and go to good schools, if you're really well organized, you could prevent a lot of problems, that really helped him survive a chaotic household, and now it's been rewarded because he's he's working at a really well-paying job as an engineer, and he can say, you know, I, I pulled myself up this way by being orderly. So listen to this, listen to this. It's very likely the desires battling with in you is when things are too much drudgery Morgan's central nervous system goes on alert that things are going bad because the body never forgets that trauma and it's really likely that when Tom's life is out of order his central nervous system sends out a, a message oh my gosh things are falling apart and so he or she will overreact to that because that's what allowed them to survive And this is the wisdom of the information of the Enneagram. It allows me to see as a three, I was going to save my family's name by achieving. I was going to save my family's name. I was going to achieve. I was going to be the outlier that saved my family's name. And it allowed me to see that for what it was. And now working in a church, I am a drunk working at a bar because I am able to do the ultimate thing save people for God. I mean, what what's bigger than that to justify your existence? And so the desires that battle within you aren't bad. They're just things that are the result of your survival box that you built. And then those collide. Verse two, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now that seems pretty extreme until you realize that some of the worst things in the world have been done by religious Christians who aren't transformed. They have information, but not transformation. I remember sitting in James' class one time in seminary, and the professor said, every one of the things James lists, I've actually seen it happen. I've seen, I've been in a church where one Christian killed another Christian. They were so angry. And yet, also, in marriage... What is the most common form of murder? Where does it take place most often? Domestically. That's that's where murder happens most often. Um, One time somebody asked Ruth Graham, with Billy gone all the time, have you ever thought about divorcing him? And she said, no, I've thought of murder a few times, but never divorce. And she was joking, but to say, sometimes you just want to start over and it can lead to really depraved solutions. So look at this. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Look what they have. That's coveted. Look what they have that I don't have. You got me into this life. I didn't ask for this life that you've gotten me into now. So look at this. Look at this. Look at this. You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, this is right at the core of our desires. Our desires is that first of all, we haven't experienced the decision leading to transformation. That the first thing is, is I'm expecting you to make me feel worthy. I've never asked God to do that, which only God can do. That's why there's idolatry in our relationship, which leads to personalizing and villainizing, is because we expect each other to do what only God can do. Only God can give you self-worth. Your spouse cannot. Cannot. If you try to make them make you worthy, it will lead to a thing called control that sometimes looks like love but is not. It is not. And so he says this. He says, start with, and this is just an echoing of something we're going to unpack more deeply in February in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, first of all, when you have a need, ask. Ask. It's a really interesting thing because sometimes people say, why should I ask God when he already knows my needs? It's because there's a vulnerability in asking. You're actually demonstrating trust when you say, God, here's what I need. It's not that he doesn't know already. And this is also the basis of all healthy relationship is a simple three-letter word, ask. All relationship is based on this word. And Sherry and I have learned this. If I have a need that I think she can fulfill, I ask. I don't passive-aggressively say, you should have known. You should have known. It doesn't count if I have to ask. No, sometimes we don't know. And here it is, here it is, here it is. This is true with God, this is true with your spouse, this is true with your friends. If I ask her something, I trust her when I trust her no as much as I trust her yes. I trust that she doesn't have an agenda. She's not trying to just, oh, I'm gonna make him suffer by saying no. There's no agenda. She's secure in Christ. She knows who she is. She knows who she, whose she is. And now she can say, no, I can't do that right now. It's been a, it, we're, we're right in the middle of chaos at school with COVID and I cannot go, I cannot. And she's a nine, she's an introverted nine. No, I cannot go to that basketball game with you. I just, I just, right now, I cannot take a Saturday afternoon, and yesterday I went to Cedarville University to see a basketball game, and, she, and Sherry said no. And if I, if I trust her, I trust that no. I trust that no. And this is, gets at the crux of why we struggle and quarrel. It's because you're not meeting my needs. And sometimes those needs, sometimes those needs are legitimate. Sometimes they're needs only God can meet. And we just don't know what they are. Look at this. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You haven't even looked through yourself yet as to why you're motivated. You may be so empty on the inside that everything is about you. Everything is about you and you don't even know it. And that's part of the box you built to survive. That's why we feel sorry for narcissists. It's box they built to survive, and now it's at a pathological level of destruction. Now, if from this you're saying, like one time Jesus' followers said, Lord, give us words of life. Like, like okay, okay, you've built up the tension. Where do we go from here? And this is also why one time Jesus asked a man who had been lame, do you really want to get well? He always asked that question because a lot of times we don't really know what we want. No, but very few people go through the process with something like the in and say, here's what I want and here's why I want it. Here's what's legit and here's what's not legit. Here's what God can do and only God can do and what God can't do. And what I want you to do today is take the tension of this last 50 minutes. And I want you to unleash that in a few minutes of solitude with Christ. In the areas of the room, the corners and the sides of the room, we have these symbols that Christ gave his lifeblood in place of your lifeblood being redeemed. That the cost of your righteousness was his given, Your adoption was his life in place of yours, so he was like someone who went into a jail to let out the other person, offered in ransom, the Bible says, and that you are the recipient of his presence to where you can now be a new creation. You don't have to be that person who used to walk the hallways of your high school, is the way we put it around here. You can become to live new. If you want it, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well, or do you want to just blame other people, blame your spouse, and live the way you are because it just takes too much energy? And for those of us who want it, great is his faithfulness. What he said he will do, he will do. And that is when you surrender to him and you say, I walk every day in the knowledge that in you, Romans 3, I'm made righteous. That's the truest part of me. All the shame, that's temporary stuff. I love what Jim said there. The, the rightness of Christ is permanent. That in you I'm adopted. I have worth because I'm a beloved child of the most high God with supreme value and worth just as I am today. But I also have the capacity to transform and grow. I'm a new creation in Christ. And I'd love for you to take the tension of today and take the truth of Christ with the truth of the Enneagram's reality and that truth will set you free. It'll begin you on a path of redemption and restoration and transformation. Next week, we're gonna do Extra Grace Required Part 2 and we're gonna do a couple different numbers and we're gonna do a couple different applications but today, it's on you. It's on you. Do you wanna get well? If so, right now, before you leave. Tell Christ what you want. Ask him. Let him be your provider and see what he begins to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, marriage is for those who can grow into its largeness. And I think sometimes we get married thinking we're signing up for the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts or maybe even just the National Guard on the weekends. But the reality is, we're signing up for the Marines. It demands a level of surrender and sacrifice. It demands a commitment to growth, the fruits of which are just so rich. The highest of human existence is when a couple becomes a miniature church. They are so growing in the love of Christ that they become a picture in miniature of what God's love looks like in this world. That's the ultimate. And I pray that because of today, because of January 28th, because of our groups of people growing, that many, many, many will be on that journey. Thank you. We give this to you in the name of Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Have a great week.